Hi, I'm Mason, pastor of Vision and Preaching here at Resurrection Church. Thanks for tuning in to this teaching from one of our morning worship services. This is not meant in any way to supplant your teaching at your local church, but we hope you find this helpful in your walk with Christ. Our sermon text this morning is Mark 14, 26 to 42, 66 to 72. And when he had sung a hymn, and they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same, and they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, and he said to sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter, James, and John, and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, and even to death. Remain here and watch. And was going a little farther, and he fell to the ground and prayed, that if it were possible, the hour might pass. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found him sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not wait one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found him sleeping. For their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what, the, what to answer him. And he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough, the hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hand of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warning him, warming himself, she looked at him and said, You were also with Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went into the gateway, and the rooster crowed, and a servant girl saw him, and began to say again to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again he denied it, and after a while the bystanders again said to him, said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and said and to swear, I do not know this man, and of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a rooster crowed a third, second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come before you today, and I pray that this, as Mason preaches, that you will pierce our hearts. I pray that your spirit will anoint him and anoint us to hear the word as it's preached. And at the end of this service, may we just put our hands up and glorify you more and be closer to you. We love you and thank you, and may the Holy Spirit do a work in our hearts. It's in Jesus' powerful name I pray. Amen. We're in Mark chapter 14, verses 26 through 42. And that's kind of the bulk of the text I'll be in. And then I'm also going to go to 66 through 72 a little later in the chapter. And what we're going to do today is sort of focus on uh, Peter and his relationship with Christ in sort of these um, crucial hours. Uh, my wife is in Indiana where I've been uh, most of the week. And for a graduation party, I haven't met her family out there yet. So I was out there visiting with them and uh, came back. So I had to find a shirt that didn't need ironed. Um, because I, I just struggle with that kind of thing. And so uh, I put on a T-shirt with the blazer, and I realized I look like Dan D'Antoni if you're a basketball fan. And I almost changed. 
Speaking of Dan D'Antoni, perhaps you know people who talk a big game then fail to deliver. Uh, let me get it off Dan D'Antoni, let me bring it home to me. The first softball game was a few weeks ago. And me and Ryan Thayer, we went out to Dick's Sporting Goods and I bought some brand new cleats. And we had some spiffy new jerseys. And I also bought a glove, I'm embarrassed to say that, but I spent a lot of money that day. I bought a new glove for softball because the webbing's bigger, you know, I don't want to, I still made errors with it, but whatever. Bought a new glove, bought some cleats, had a sharp new jersey on, and our team was like all there like an hour before the other team. And we're out there on the field warming up, and there's like a legion of us out there, right? A whole army of resurrection softball warriors. And the other team like isn't even there yet, and they just kind of show up, and then they just drum us two games in a row. Right? We kind of talked the big game. We kind of looked pretty good, but we got whooped two games in a row. And I don't know about you, but when I think about these principles spiritually, when I think about my Christian life, I can do the same thing. I can um, talk a good game, and then when it comes time to deliver or sort of like live out the sermon that I've preached, I can see just a cognitive dissonance. I can see this reality at work within me that I do not like. We can talk a big game, but as famous Nigerian novelist Chinua Achebe famously said, things fall apart. And when things fall apart, we're forced to grapple with some major questions. What happens when we don't live up to what we say? What happens when we fail? What happens when we fall? What do we do when we've betrayed someone else? Or what do we do when we've been betrayed by someone we love? Today we see a sharp contrast between Jesus and Peter as the march to the cross continues. Our earthly king is, or our heavenly king, our better king is not like earthly kings, full of bravado and bluster, because true power doesn't flaunt it. In our text today, Peter overestimates himself and underestimates his sin, but Jesus, risen from the dead, full of grace and power, will beckon him home. I don't know about you, but I'm a whole lot like Peter. I can overestimate myself and underestimate my sin. So if you're like me and if we're all like Peter, I pray this morning that we find grace in the scriptures and that we find healing for our sin-sick souls. Look with me in verses 26 to 31 in chapter 14. I've kind of titled this little subdivision, Peter's Bravado. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Let's stop there for just a moment. Last week's sermon is, I think, on the website. If you haven't had a chance to listen to it, it is the sort of Passover meal in which Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. The title of that sermon was, The First Supper, and at the end of the Passover meal, they would leave singing a hymn from the Hallel songs of the book of Psalms. So they'd be singing out of Psalm 118, Psalms like, this is the day that the Lord has made, let us rejoice and be glad in it. And usually when I think of that song, that's a, a, a perky, upbeat song that we would sing at Vacation Bible School, but I picture Jesus leaving the Last Supper, knowing he's about to die, and singing with his disciples, this is the day the Lord has made, let us rejoice and be glad in it. They'd sung a hymn, they're walking to the Mount of Olives, Jesus is talking to his crew, and he says, 
you will all fall away, for it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. He quotes from Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7. You know, every time Jesus speaks of his passion, every time Jesus speaks of his impending death, he provokes a little crisis for his disciples. Because as sheep are scattered in panic when their shepherd falls, so the death of Jesus will cause the disciples to desert him and will mark the loss of that central point of their communal fellowship. In verse 28, Jesus says, But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Jesus counterbalances sort of the prophecy by promising a reunion in Galilee following the resurrection. But the disciples are in no place to hear and understand that at the moment. Verse 29, Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. Even though they all fall away, I will not. This is pretty arrogant, wouldn't you say? I mean, it's this kind of moment where Peter's like, yeah, yeah, Jesus, maybe all these cats will fall away, but I am not like them. I won't fall away. And when I read this text, I always think about the other disciples. Like, excuse me? <laughs> You're better than us? Okay, cool, right? And so they're like, these guys might fall away, but I'm not. I I'm better than them. I'm their leader. I'm sort of over them. I will be with you no matter what these clowns decide to do. Peter is really confident in his piety, and I think sometimes we can become a little bit overconfident in our piety as well. There's a hymn that I absolutely love. I think it's, I will have decided to follow Jesus, but there's one line in that hymn that every time I sing it, I'm like, this feels a little odd, right? Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me. Though none go with me, I will still follow you, right? Every time I sing that, I'm singing, though no one goes with me, I'll still follow you. If no one else comes, I'll still follow you. We live in a country with 100 million Christians, and we still can't follow them. <laughs> what makes us think we'll be dropped off in a place where there are no other Christians, and we will suddenly say, I'm the only one, and I'm going to walk in strength. Sometimes we can say from the comfort of our living rooms and the comfort of our churches, oh, I would die for my faith. Well, what happens when there's someone standing in front of you with a gun killing you for your faith? Church, we can overestimate our commitment to Christ and underestimate our own interest in self-preservation. We have a tendency to overestimate our commitment for Christ and underestimate just how much our flesh clings to comfort, just how much our flesh clings to safety, just how much our flesh clings to pleasure, just how much our flesh clings to these things that Christ is calling us to leave. But Jesus knows Peter better than Peter knows Peter, and so he corrects him in verse 30. Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night... See, the platitudes have become concrete, right? Peter's being asked to put his money where his mouth is. He's saying, not only will you hypothetically leave me, but you're going to leave me tonight. Before the rooster crows twice, before dawn breaks, in other words, you will deny me three times. You'll deny me three times. Not once, right? Not twice, but three times. And then Peter does his best Southern Baptist preacher impersonation in verse 31. But he said, what, emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And then what happens with the other disciples? The text says they all said the same. So Peter's like this worship leader of this whole crew right now, right? No matter what, I'm going to follow you. And they're all like, yeah, what he said. 
What did he say? We're going to storm the gates of hell with a water pistol for you. Let's go. We're with Peter. And we're, Peter's with you. Let's go. And there's almost this like moment of like excitement before the, the betrayal that is coming. But Jesus knows Peter better than Peter knows Peter. He's preaching a great sermon. The congregants are really, really loving it. But here's the secret about us preachers. Sometimes we don't live up to the things we say. And here's the thing about other congregants. Neither do the rest of us. We don't live up to the things we sing in our songs. We don't live up to the things we write in our notes. Our mountaintop mouths disappear in the valleys. And here begins, I think, an important dichotomy for the rest of Mark. Christ is steady. He is fixed on the cross, and he knows where he's going. The disciples, however, will be all over the place. Right now, they're screaming and yelling about how excited they are, and if they have to die, they'll die with them. And then in just a little bit, they will all fall away. Christ is steady even though he is facing something far more difficult than the rest of them. Lowliness will come to the disciples and lowliness will come to Christ. The disciples will lean into themselves and Christ will lean into his Father. Now in verses 32 to 42, to 42 sorry, I've subtitled this, Jesus and Peter prepare for the passion. Jesus and Peter prepare for the passion. So in verse 32, the text says, and they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him, right, verse 33, Peter, James, and John, so sort of the inner circle of those disciples, and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Look with me in verse 34. The text says, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. Another way we could say very sorrowful even to death is Jesus says, my soul is appalled and I am profoundly troubled. This language is unusually strong to depict suffering in Mark's gospel. Mark presents Gethsemane as this critical moment in Christ's life where the rubber meets the road, if you will, where his full submission to the Father is confronting him with breathtaking immediacy. That Jesus has known where he's going. Jesus has known what he's doing. But right here in the Garden of Gethsemane where he is praying with his Father, he is face to face with the reality that for the first time in all of eternity, he will be separated from the fellowship he's enjoyed with the Father and all the Father's wrath of, towards sin will be laid on his shoulders. Verse 35, and going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, that the hour might pass from him. 
I, I almost feel weird inserting metaphors here because it feels like sacrilege with how serious what's happening is, but take, just so you can kind of engage the text a little bit, think about sort of a moment of dread that you felt. Maybe you're, um, oh, Lord, if you've had to tell someone their, their kid died or tell someone that someone's died or you have, you're going to a meeting, this is less serious, where you know that you're just going to get in a lot of trouble at this meeting or you're the boss and you're going to put someone through a whole lot of trouble and you're going, and that sort of existential dread. It's always in the back of your mind until it happens, but when it's getting ready to happen, right, you're your hands are shaking and you're, you're getting nervous and you're, you're having trouble thinking about anything else. I think about that multiplied by infinity as Christ is reckoning with this reality that he is going to die. And not only is he going to die, but he will drink the cup of God's wrath. For the first time in existence, he is walking towards a deep, deep loneliness. There's sort of a dreadful sorrow out of which this prayer for the passing of the cup springs. It's not an expression of fear before this dark destiny, nor is it a shrinking away from what's to come. It's the horror, though, of the one who lives holy for the Father, facing alienation from the one who he loves and lives for. See his gut-wrenching prayer in verse 36. Abba, right, Dad, Father. All things are possible for you. If there's any other way, if there's any other way that this cup of redemption can be drank, if there's any other way redemption can come, if there's any other plan for humanity, this would be a great time to reveal it. If there's anything that can keep this from happening, Lord, I don't want to do it, Father. I don't want to go through this. Remove this cup from me. What cup? For those of you who were here last week, we would say the third cup, the cup of redemption, the cup of his blood that he held up and said, this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Jesus knows he's not about to just face an unjust political system. Jesus knows he's not just about to face one of his greatest friends in betrayal. He knows he's primarily about to receive the wrath of God on sin. And I think it's this very moment, before the crowds, before the scoffing, before the lashings, where the passion begins. And the disciples are asleep. Verse 37, he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are, are you asleep? Can you hear sort of the notes of foreshadowing in his voice? Are you asleep? Just a moment ago, right, you said you would never, ever betray me. Here I'm sorrowful even to death, and I'm praying. And at the time, silent prayers weren't really a thing in the Hebrew tradition, and so Jesus is praying aloud, and if they're near, they can hear him, but they're not interested in what he's praying. They're not interested in these spiritual things. They're interested in catching some Zs. They're interested in getting a little bit of rest Peter, I hear what you're saying about never forsaking me, but this is it, man. You can't stay awake for one hour. Right? If you're going to live up to that proclamation you've made, you're going to have to watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. 
Church, if we are going to live up to the proclamation that we make, we have to watch and pray that we will not fall into temptation. Look in verse 38. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. I think Jesus is kind of giving Peter the how uh, he can fulfill the proclamation that he made just a few verses ago. He says, listen, if everyone else leaves you, I'm not going to leave you. And then Jesus says, no, you're going to leave me. He says, no, 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 really. If I have to die, I'm going to be with you. And Jesus essentially, I think, is connecting those dots. And he's saying, if I hear what you're saying, I hear your heart, but you, you're weak, man. You're weak, brother. I love you, but you can't do this on your own. I love you, but if you want to live up to that proclamation you're making, you're going to have to fight. You're going to have to be vigilant. You're going to have to make sure that you don't fall into temptation. Church, there is not one of us in this room who could not fall into temptation. When we see a brother or a sister leave the faith, when we see a brother or a sister morally fall, our response has to be, but for the grace of God, there go I. Now, let's do a quick case study together of how Peter and how Jesus are uniquely preparing for the most important moment in their lives. Jesus is praying, and Peter is what? Sleeping. I'm going to sound like a basketball coach for just a moment. You don't necessarily rise to the level of your talent so much as you rise to the level of your preparation. You don't necessarily rise to the level of your talent so much as you rise to the level of your preparation. Well, that's Jesus. Of course he can do it. Do you not hear the humanity in those prayers? Do you not hear the gut-wrenching humanity? If Abba, Father, please, if there's any other way, let this pass from me. Jesus knows something that Peter doesn't seem to know at this point, and that is spiritual strength comes from intimacy with God. Spiritual strength comes from intimacy with God. Your spiritual strength, too, will not go further than your intimacy with God has already taken you. Your spiritual strength will not be, go further than your intimacy with God has already taken you. And if you consider yourself at some level a leader, this should scare the daylights out of us. Because we can't lead other people spiritually from a place of sort of not leading ourselves spiritually. So there's this conversation between Jesus and Peter, and you have to think maybe we're, we got it together. Peter's like, okay, I get it. Man, I was just tired. I just dozed off. I'll be okay. L let's regroup. And so in verse 39, what? And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words, right? So he's praying, and he's praying the exact same thing, the same gut-wrenching prayers out loud so the guys who are closest to him could probably hear them. He's praying the same prayers. Verse 40, what does the text say? And again. Again, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy and they did not know what to answer him. And he came a third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It's enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is here, is at hand. We'll talk about that next week. Imagine being Peter. You're asleep. You wake up. Okay, okay. You go to sleep again. You wake up. Okay, okay. You go to sleep again. I'm kind of having flashbacks to kindergarten through 12th grade, right, when my mom would come in and the first time really graciously tell me to get up, and I really graciously ignored her. 
And the second time, she somewhat graciously told me to get up, and I somewhat graciously ignored her. And then it went downhill, but I got up. And that moment of kind of you wake up in a panic that you've messed something up. Imagine being Peter, waking up, and you're starting to realize, oh, no, I'm here. In essence, Jesus says, I hope you're rested. I hope you're rested because it's time. Verses 66 to 72, we skip ahead a little bit uh, in the narrative just to follow Peter's experience this morning. Verse 66, and as Peter was below in the courtyard, Jesus has been arrested at this point. One of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you, you, you also are with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he, what, denied it, saying, I, I, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out of the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man's one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And the next three words just leap off the page. And Peter remembered. Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Where were you when you broke down and wept. What I mean is, where were you when you went to that place you never thought you'd go? Maybe it was divorce. Maybe it was an affair that you started or happened to you. Maybe you committed something against someone that you loved and you can't believe you did it. I don't know where you've been, what you've done, what's happened to you, but where were you when you broke down and wept? He ended up somewhere he never thought he'd be. But here's the good news of our text this morning. Jesus died for Peter. He died for the one who couldn't live up to his grandiose proclamations of love and fidelity. And he died for you, and he died for me. Because the story of the gospel isn't be ye faithful because that's how God will love you. The story of the gospel is God is faithful and God loves you and be faithful and abide in him. The story of the gospel isn't what you must do to earn God's love. It's what God's done for you to show you his love. Jesus was faithful when Peter was faithless. Jesus was preparing and praying while Peter was sleeping. Jesus embraced suffering for us. Peter ran from suffering for us. Jesus faced for the first time loneliness. And as soon as loneliness came to Peter, he hightailed it the other way. But Jesus faced this loneliness so that God in our loneliness would never be far. I'm going to flip over to John's gospel to finish this sermon. Worship team, if you guys want to go ahead and come on up. In John's gospel, um, John tells us that Mary Magdalene discovers the empty tomb. And, and she goes back, and he makes a point to say that she finds Peter. And they ran to the tomb. And John points out that guess who was the first person to get to the tomb. Peter was, of course, 
the first person to get to the tomb. And then in John 21, Jesus appears to Peter in verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus says to Simon Peter, he looks at him and he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? (laughs) And I wonder if his mind went back to that conversation where he said, I love you more than all of these people. And Jesus is like, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these people? Some things never change. He says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he said, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, then tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? The text says that Peter was grieved because he said a third time, do you love me? Lord, you know everything. He's crying out, you know I love you. And I wonder if he's breaking down because he knows, I know what I've done. I know how bad I've messed up. He keeps asking me this because, oh, he keeps asking me this because he knows how much of a failure I am. And Jesus, I do love you. You know I love you. I know I messed up, but you know I love you. And he says, feed my sheep. Truly I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but then you're old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. What he means, verse 19 explains, an editorial comment, right? This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. One day, Peter, you'll be taken where you don't want to go. And that last sentence, and after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. What grace is that? Because sometime earlier, Jesus had walked up to Simon, son of John, a guy that Jesus didn't really know, other than the fact that Jesus is God, that Peter certainly doesn't know, and he says, follow me. And so he says, yeah, sure, I'll follow you. And then they went through so much life together. And at the end of that life, he ran. But here is Jesus, three times affirming him. You love me, feed my sheep. You love me? Tend my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. And again, he looks at a Peter who they have gone through some stuff with. And he said, then come and follow me. Where sin runs deep, God's grace is so much more. Peter's threefold denial, his complete and utter denial of Christ, is met with a threefold affirmation. Do you love me, feed my sheep? Do you love me, tend my sheep? Do you love me, feed my sheep? Because God is not done with Peter. Because his death accomplished something. His death forgave Peter. And because of Christ, because he has taken the wrath of God, he has taken our betrayal on himself, we too can be met with affirmation. Yes, Lord, you know I love you, even though I don't do things I ought all the time. And he says, feed my sheep. Follow me. I think of a hymn. I'll just read the last verse. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. 
I'm prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. I'm prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take it and seal it. Seal it for your courts above. Seal it for your courts above. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so much like Peter. We don't live up to the things we say all of the time. We fail you and we've failed others. But your grace reaches out after us. That you still desire to use us for your kingdom and to bring you glory. And I pray that if there's any of us who are sorrowful like Peter, that moment where he realizes I've done what I never thought I'd do, I've said what I never thought I'd say, I've, I, I, I've crossed a line that I could never uncross. Would you remind us, Lord, that there is a cross. And because of that cross, Lord, you have chased us and you found us in our sin. And you've loved us. And you've reconciled us to yourself. And you want to use us in the everyday stuff of life to make much of you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Would you rise and sing with us?